Thank you very much for that beautiful song. God is so good to us. Several years ago, my wife and I took a trip over to Italy, and we went with the architectural students. We went to the area where the Waldensian lived, where they worked, where they farmed, where, unfortunately, they were killed, many of them, as they were hunted down like wild animals by the papacy because they would not come into harmony with the teachings of the state church. You know, they lived a very simple life. And we went to the uh, College of Barbs. That's what this picture is here. And we went into some of the caves that they, they lived in. Uh, we stood where some of them were actually slain. And it was very solemn to think about the, the enthusiasm that these people had for the Word of God and for the right and their unwavering faith that they held on to. They would not give way. They would not compromise. And how they raised their children to be obedient to the Word of God and how they raised them to be missionaries for Christ. My wife and I went in this door here, and behind that door there was a, a big stone slab on another pillar of stone, and this is where they would handwrite page by page copies of the Bible. And they would roll it up, and they would sew it within their garments, or they would put it up their sleeve, and they'd take it down into the valley, and where they worked, or where they went to study at, when they found somebody that was receptive to the truth, they would share it. They had one goal in mind, and that was to educate people in the knowledge of God. And all that they put their hand to, this was their ultimate focus. This is a Bible here. I met a gentleman. He had uh, his, his great-great-great-grandfather was one of those Waldensians, and this was the family Bible. Now, this thing was big. It was thick. It was heavy. I guarantee you, you would not lose this Bible at home. How many of you set your Bible down at church or at home, and you, you're like, where did I put my Bible, right? <laughs> this would not happen if you had a Bible of this size. But it was precious to them. The Word was their life. The ultimate focus of the Waldensian way of life was to share the truth with others. They worked. They studied and raised their families. But in the midst of this, their focus was clear and unwavering. The Waldensian worldview was summed up in a phrase, lux, lucet, and temperis, which means light shines out of darkness. You know, friends, everyone has a worldview, a lens in which we view the world. And there's many things that influence our worldview. It can be culture, it can be our social status. It can be our financial status and our upbringing. But beyond these variables, there are four common factors that shape each individual's worldview, and there are these. The question of origin. Where do I come from? Where do you come from? The second one, purpose. Why am I here? Why do you exist today? Why are you here in this church today? What is your purpose? Third, the question of morality. What is right and wrong? Ultimately, and we'll get into this as we progress on, who has the sole authoritative prerogative to declare not to decide, but to declare what's right and what's wrong. And fourth, the question of destiny. Where am I going? Where are you going? Do you know the destiny? Talk to me. Where are you going? Heaven? Heaven is my home? Amen. You know, Jesus said hellfire was created for the devils and his angels, and I've never heard anybody ask me, how do I get there? Heaven is our home, friends. So the great question is, how do we get there? 
I invite you to bow your heads as I kneel down and pray. Gracious, loving Father, we've come today to answer some questions, questions that each of us have had or still have. And Lord, we're looking for the answers through Scripture. We ask that you speak to us directly. It may be today that you bring deep conviction into our heart. It may be today that you bring encouragement to us because of some struggle we are having. But today, Father, we have gathered to hear your voice and we come in confidence that when we leave, we can be assured that by your grace, there will be a change wrought in us. So, Father, we need your Spirit's presence. May your holy angels come down and be close to us at this time. And, Lord, may you speak and hide me behind the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first couple of things I'm going to touch on here, the origin and purpose. You know, I shared on this a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but the question of origin. We find this in Genesis 1:26. The Bible tells us that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image God created he, him, male and what? Female created he them. So God decides up front at creation, male and female. I know there's some discussion about that today, but ultimately God is the one that decides this. So God is our creator. But for what purpose did God create you and I? There's three Bible verses that support this thought that the purpose of God creating humanity was that as long as man should live, as long as humanity should live, we would reflect and continue to grow in the likeness and character of God. Now think about that. God is infinite, is he not? Do you think when God created Adam and Eve, they were, they were just in the full measure and statute and, and, and infinite with God and knowledge and love and power and understanding? Of course not. They had to grow. But that was the purpose of God creating because God is infinite, so we are to continuously grow. And so there's three verses that actually support that thought as, long, as well as the spirit of prophecy quote. The first one I'd like to point out there, I'll put them all three on the screen at the same time, is um, it comes from 2 Corinthians 3.18. You should memorize these, friends. 2 Corinthians 3.18, 2 Peter 3.18, John 17.3. says, but we all with an open face beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same what? From glory to what? Glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So I want to point something out in this verse. The word is beholding. There's a continuous view a continuous looking at. It's not just a one and done. God never meant for us to stop beholding his character, his face, his image, who he is. And then we're to grow because by beholding, we're changed from glory to glory. There's a growth. We continue to grow. We're to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God meant for us to continue to grow in a knowledge of his love, his power, and his ways of how he deals with things and works in creation. And all of this leads to eternal life. This is life eternal, that they would know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Friends, eternal life is not based upon how much doctrine you may know. It's not based upon what you may know about God. It's about knowing God. It's about a practical experience with God on a daily basis not just when you come to church and the information you get when you hear the preacher speak. It's a continuous growth in him. Ellen White would put it like this in the book Education, uh, page 15. She would say this, When Adam came from the Creator's hand, he bore in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature a likeness to his maker. God created man in his own image. And it was his purpose, his what? Purpose that the, lo the longer man lived, the more fully he should reveal this image, the more fully reflect 
the glory of the Creator. All his faculties were capable of development. Their capacity and vigor were continually to increase. Face-to-face, heart-to-heart communion with his Maker was his high privilege. Had he remained loyal to God, all this would have been his forever. Throughout eternal ages, he would have continued to gain new treasures of knowledge to discover fresh springs of happiness and to obtain clear and yet clear conceptions of the wisdom, the power, and the love of God. The more and more fully would he have fulfilled the object of his creation, more and more fully have reflected the creator's glory. So why are we here? Why do you take the name Christian? Because we're supposed to be Christ-like. Isn't that true? So we're here for the purpose of growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're here to reflect his character to others in the world. You know, that's what the world is dying for. The world is waiting for that revelation of Jesus Christ. It's waiting for the power of the gospel to be seen in your life and mine. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that all creation travaileth and mourns, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Is that not true? The Bible tells us we were to hasten to what? Hasten the Lord's coming. Have you wondered how you can hasten the Lord's coming? We've got to get back to this original blueprint, friends. How's that happen? We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. So, you know, it's one day at a time, but as we're in the Word of God, that Word is to transform our lives and shape and mold us into His image and likeness. By beholding, we become changed. So, let's talk about morality. Morality. You know, the Bible tells us that there was a war in heaven. Do we understand what that war was over? Let's read what it says here in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, 12 through 14. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground who did weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Lots of I wills there. Now, I want you to think about this in contrast to Jesus' life when he came here. The book of Psalms 40, verse 7 and 8 says, Lo, I come. In the volume of a book, it is written of thee, of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is within my heart. Christ came for the sole purpose to do his Father's will. In John 5, verse 30, he would tell his disciples and those that were with him, I've come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In John 6, verse 38, again, he would tell those that were in the crowd, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then when we look at the, the, the great controversy as it was taking place in the Garden of Gethsemane, over and over again, he would go and he would wrestle, he would fight, and he would pray, and he would say, not my will, but thy will, what? Be done. There's a battle within him. He realizes that his flesh is saying, go a different way, do something else besides your Father's will, but he submits to his Father's will, and he says, thy will be done. Praise God for what he did there. Do you realize, friends, that that was the final purchase of your freedom and mine to choose? The promise was made in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. He promised to put enmity in the heart of the woman between the woman's seed and the serpent's seed. He promised then that we would have an opportunity to choose once again. When Adam and Eve sinned, they lost their ability. They lost their free will. They could no longer choose unless God had intervened right there and then. They would have remained slaves to Satan for as long as they lived until they died. There would have been no hope for them. But Christ promised 
that we would have the freedom of choice. That's the greatest gift God has given to each and every one of us, the freedom to choose. Lucifer had it. All the angels have it. All of us have it. And that's why it's the, it's, it's the greatest crime we could commit it's, is to violate somebody else's conscience. Even if they're going in the wrong way, God does not violate your conscience. He does not hold you down and drag you off to heaven. He will not do that. He's a gentleman, and he respects the choice he's given to you and I and what we do with that. So Satan here, he says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. What's a throne represent, friends? A throne represents a seat of authority. Satan had a problem with God's authority he had a problem with God's law. And basically what he was saying, there's something wrong with your law, there's something wrong with you, and I can do it better, and I should have the right to decide for myself what's right, what's wrong. I should be able to self-govern myself. Friends, I want you to think about this because this is the seed that he seeks to sow in every human heart. He wants to convince you and I that outside of the boundaries that God has set to define the relationship that we can decide for ourselves what's best. And so this is the track the enemy seeks to take us on. And really, how we buy into this, rather we yield to God's sovereign right to declare what's right and wrong, or we believe we have sufficient wisdom within ourselves to do it will define or, I mean, decide our ultimate destiny. So how do we get there? We said we're heaven-bound. How do we get there? Turn with me to John chapter 3. We're very acquainted with this story, but let's look at it once again. John chapter 3. Jesus is going to tell us how we get there. And if he is the one pointing out the way... That means there's no other way than the way he gives to us. He would say later in the scriptures that all others that try to enter in besides the gate, which he is the rep uh, representative of that gate, are thieves, will be counted thieves and robbers. John chapter 3, starting with verse 1. There was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that thou does except God be with him. Jesus reads Nicodemus' heart. You know, God knows your great need and my great need before we even bring it to him. And many times we get down and we kneel and we pray and we say, Lord, I need this, I gotta have this, and if this doesn't happen, this is gonna be bad. And I, I, all these things... But God ultimately knows what's best for us. He knows how to get us from point A to point Z, and he knows how to care for us all along the way. He could read Nicodemus' heart. He understood Nicodemus had a, a problem, and that was he did not realize his great need. So I'd ask you today, friends, do you realize your great need? Because unless we do, we will not have the sufficient gift from God to supply that need. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, he's talking to a person that's been in the church his whole life. He's educated. He's got wealth. He's, he's, he's worshiping on the right day. He's going to the church on the Sabbath. He's paying his tithe. He's caring for the poor. He's doing all these externals. But Jesus is saying to him, Nicodemus, your motive is ill, wrong, and you need to be born again. Or you will not see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, he goes on to talk about, can I, can I enter back into the womb, being old? Of course, that's a ridiculous question to even put to be before Jesus. And Jesus doesn't entertain this. He goes on to say again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So I ask, how many of us need to be born again? All of us. Now, this is interesting. Paul would say, I die 
How often? Daily. So how often do you need to be born again? Daily. It's not a one and done. It's not one saved, always saved, friends. It's a continuous surrender of our will to the will of God, a yielding of our heart to God, setting our affections upon God, believing the word is best for us. So let's take the journey here. How are we to be born again? He said of water and of the spirit. Uh, let's see here. Let's uh, look first at Ephesians. We're not going to go to all these because I have a lot to share, but I'm going to put them on the screen. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. But I'd encourage you to write these verses down so you can walk somebody through this same pattern of how to be born again. That ye might be sanctified and cleansed, that, it may be, that it, he may be sanctified and cleansed with it. How? By the washing of what? Water by the word. So we're told we're washed by the word. And we're going to get into how this works out here in a moment. So we're washed by the word. So Peter would tell us as well in 1 Peter 2, 1, 22, and 23. Seeing that you have purified your souls and obeyed what? The truth. So how are, how are we purified? By obeying the truth. How? Through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, seeing that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being what? Born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the Word of God. All right. So this has pretty much made it simple. We're born how? By the Word of God. We're cleansed how? By the word of God. Jesus would tell us in John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. There's life-giving power in this word. I tell you, friends, I've read a lot of books. And in school, I had to read a lot of books. And not one of them changed my heart. All the history I studied didn't change my heart. The English I was learning did not change my heart. The, the math I was learning did not change my heart. But when I picked up this book, this book, The Living Word, and I began to read and acquaint myself with my Creator, as it would say in Job 21, verse 20, or 22, verse 21 and 22, acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace thereby good shall come on to thee lay up his words in thy heart and so it's through the acquaintance that we our time spent with god acquainting ourselves with him that we know him and so that when we come across a principle or counsel or warning we're willing to submit to it because let's face it you and I are not going to surrender or submit to somebody we don't know. Is that true? So in order for us to submit to God, we need to know God. We talked a little bit about that in our Sabbath school lesson here. Now, the Word of God is powerful. It has great impact on the human mind and the ability to change the way we think, act, and our desires. This comes from Christ's Object Lessons, page 100. The Scriptures are the great are the great agency in the transformation of character. Christ prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. If studied and, what does it say? So there's two, two things that have to take place there. Just studying the word is not enough. There's a yielding to it. There's an obedience to that word. If studied and obeyed, the Word of God works in the heart, subduing every unholy attribute. The truths of the Word of God meet man's great practical necessity, the conversion of the soul through faith. These grand principles are not to be thought too pure and holy to be brought into the daily life. They are truths which reach to heaven and compass eternity. Yet their vital influence is to be woven into the human experience. They are to permeate all that the great 
They are to permeate all the great things and all the little things of life. Received into the heart. Where? Received into the heart. In other words, our affections are set on God to do His will. Received into the heart, the leaven of truth will regulate the desires, purify the thoughts, and sweeten the disposition. It quickens the faculties of the mind and the energies of the soul. It enlarges the capacity for feeling, for loving. In other words, it moves us to compassion for others. It moves us to be long-suffering. It moves us to be gentle and kind and, and courteous to people, even if they are rude and unfriendly to us. So the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now, I can tell you, when I first started reading the Bible, there was a lot of new things for me. Now, how many of you have learned all the new things? How many of you are still reading the Bible? I hope we're all still reading it. Friends, each day, God has something new for you and I. But we have to be in it. We have to be in it. You see, this is what brings about the transformation of character. This is what's going to transform us and bring us back into harmony with God. And when you're, how many of you ever try to restore an old vehicle? Any of you? How about an old piece of furniture? All right, you have that old vehicle and you got that old piece of furniture, but how do you know what it originally looked at unless you go find the original? So you have to find a photo, uh, an instruction manual, have to find something that is the replica of the original or the original. So in restoring a vehicle, you, you might find something like this out in the uh, fields and think to myself, well, that looks like a nice project. You know, God looks at your heart and mine, and he says, that looks like a nice project. And he smiles because he knows what he can do if we'll but yield to him. But in order for us to restore that vehicle to its original, we have to look at the original. And we have to study it. And we spend more time studying it, and then we go back and we work on the old one, all right, follow me now, but we go back and we behold the original. So we're constantly to be beholding Christ, beholding his way of life through the scriptures, and then we allow that word to cleanse us and reproduce in us his very likeness and image. Friends, don't spend too much time wallowing on your shortcomings. Focus on the one that is able to give you victory. Focus on the one that is able to give you strength for the day and to lift you up and to put you in the right way and take you from victory to victory. So, let me ask you. Does the enemy know that it's only through the word of God that you and I are born again? Does he know that? You know, when I was in the military, we used to play war games. And what we would do is we'd, we'd have, we'd, there would be another company or another unit set up somewhere else out in the wilderness, and we'd be set up, and we'd have to go find them, spy them out, and we'd watch them, and we'd find out what their weaknesses were, and then we'd set in operation different things. But the ultimate goal was to overcome and conquer them. Now, in war, what the enemy does, the pursuer, they will come, they will surround the city, but they'll do it often very subtly. They don't want to alarm you, so you shut the gates. The enemy doesn't want to alarm you, so he seeks to distract you and I from the Word of God. He seeks to deceive us to think that we can just get along every day without God's counsel and wisdom and guidance and power, so he absorbs our time, and he seeks to cause division among us. And all the while, while he's doing that, his ultimate goal is to cut us off from our food supply, our source of life right here. Jesus said, unless you eat 
eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Unless we are in prayer, unless we are reading this book right here, friends, we will not make it home. We're not going to make it home on a knowledge of my, what my grandma and grandpa knew about God. We're not going to make it home on the shirt tails of our parents. The only way we're going to make it, and that's to be in the living word ourselves, because this is where we are transformed. It is here that we are reborn through the principles, the counsels, the warnings, and the commandments of God. So let's visit a couple of them. Let's look at one of my favorite Isaiah chapter 33. And the reason why I say that is because it had a profound impact on my life. Isaiah chapter 33. Go with me there, please. Isaiah chapter 33. You know, so many of you know about my story. It was a past drug dealer, and I wound up getting in trouble with the government. I went to federal prison. And, uh, you know, prior to all that, I began reading the Bible. God was drawing me to him. I began reading the Bible, and I cried out one day. I said, look, I don't want to live like this anymore. And the next day, I got arrested by the Secret Service. I was on my way to prison. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I wasn't praising the Lord then, but I was thinking, couldn't there have been a better way? But all through, all through that time, you know, I'm studying the Bible to know God, and I'm learning all these different principles. And I read about clean and unclean foods, and I'm thinking to myself, well, well if, if, if you created me, sure enough, you know what's best for me. So I don't have a problem. Let's just give it up. Was I still drawn to some of that taste and, and smell? Yes, yes, I was. But you know, the word says, submit to God and resist the devil. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You and I cannot resist the devil, friends, unless we submit to God, unless we submit to the principles and the counsel that is given to us, we won't make it. Isaiah 33. So I'm sitting in a homeless shelter, and, um, and God's rebuilding my life. And I just came back from the TV room watching one of my favorite action-packed movies where there's lots of killing and violence and robbing and stealing and immorality. And then I go back, and I'm feasting on the Word of God. I just got done at the devil's buffet. Now I'm going to come over here to the Lord's buffet, and I'm going to feast on His Word. Friends, let's, make, let's be clear. We can't eat at the devil's buffet and, and the table of the Lord. We can't drink from the devil's cup and the cup of the Lord. It just does not work like that. Look, if sin brings death, then how are we going to find life in feeding upon what brings death? And so I'm reading through, and it just happened to be, I was in Isaiah chapter 33, and I just began reading that chapter, and I get to verse 14, and it says, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings? Well, that's a pretty good question. You know, God is holy. God is pure. There is no darkness in his presence. When you turn on a light in a dark room, where's the darkness go? It's consumed by the light. So I'm so thankful that he does not leave us hanging with the question. He goes on to give us the answer. And the answer spoke to my heart. I believe it may speak to some of you today. He that walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he that despises the gain of oppressions, that shakes his hands from holding of bribes, that stops his ears from hearing of what? Blood. And shuts his eyes from seeing what? Evil. Now look at the promise right after that. Those that do these things, he shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munition of rocks. Bread shall be given him. His water shall be sure. Verse 17, thy eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. What do you say? So in Psalms 101, verse 3, David says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I like what it's, how it says in the New King James Version. It says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. So I have a question for you. How often do you set worthless things before your eyes? You know, sometimes parents, grandparents, they, they're, they're challenged by their children 
that want to get into playing video games, and sometimes the parents are playing them themselves, so it's even more challenging when you have to discipline your child and tell them enough is enough. And they're playing games that promote violence and crime, or they're watching something that promotes immorality. You know, the enemy is always seeking to sow his attributes in your mind. And the only way he has access to your mind, and that's if you and I give him permission. He can't wrestle his way in, but he can set something before you. And if you're willing to stand there and with mingled curiosity, spend time investigating, the longer you look and watch and listen, the greater his grip becomes on your soul. And so somebody says to me, well, I let John, little Johnny, I, only, I let him spend an hour playing the game. Okay, okay, so what you're telling me is you only let him spend an hour with the devil a day. Is this where we want to put our children? Are we filtering, are we monitoring the things they're involved in? You know, they'll go to their room, and while mom and dad's not paying attention, they'll play their game, and sometimes it may be the very parent, it may be the parent when nobody else is around, Scrolling on the screen, looking at things they shouldn't be looking at, thinking nobody sees me. But don't you know God sees? And don't you know, friends, that as you investigate the evil that God never intended us to know, don't you know that the devil is right there? Don't you know there are evil angels in that room present with you, influencing you? Do you know how often strife is brought in the home because of what is done in secret and people do not comprehend the fact that when they do these things, evil angels come to be there. The book of Judges tells us when they chose new gods, there was war in the gates. So what do we do? We submit to God. We put that stuff away. Are you still drawn to it? Was I still drawn to it? Yes, I'll tell you, it's hypnotic. I remember walking by a TV shortly after that, and it's like, yeah, it's captivating. It's hypnotic. That's why it says in Revelation 18, 23, by their sorceries were all the nations of the earth deceived. That's what God's up, the enemy's up to, sorcery witchcraft in the book of samuel when rebuking saul for what he had done he would tell him that witchcraft was the sin is the sin of rebellion or rebellion is the sin of witchcraft that's the way it said so how is the enemy captivating your mind or the mind of your children and if you're not disciplining and laying down some guidelines and rules at home, although they may be, in your child's eyes, strong and overbearing, you need to explain to them that as much as they pursue something like that, that promotes the attributes of the enemy, that the enemy is sowing himself his seed in their heart. And no, they may not see it right away, and many parents, I've heard them say, well, that doesn't affect me. Well, the Bible says, by beholding we become changed. That principle works both ways, friends, not just one way. So let us submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, and he will flee from us. I invite you to look at this quote from Spirit of Prophecy. Of course, the Bible would tell us here, this quote here at Psalms 199, wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. So when the counsel comes, friends, give heed to it so that you may be cleansed. This here should alarm us all. For thousands of years, Satan has been experimenting upon the properties of the human what? Mind. And he has learned to know it well. By his subtle workings in the last days, he is doing what? Linking the human mind with his own, imbuing it with his thoughts. And he is doing this work in so deceptive a manner that those who accept his guidance know not that they are being led by him at his will. The great deceivers hope so to confuse minds of men and women that none, and I'll add in their children, that none but his voice is heard. 
So when we come across something, the counsel in the word, to turn away from evil, to stop beholding it, to take it out of our, our proximity where we can. Of course, we're not going to get away from it all. And we refuse to listen. Basically, what we're saying to God is, look, you didn't come to give me abundant life. You're making things hard on me. You're just trying to control me. You're taking sides with the enemy. He's found a sympathizer in your heart or mind when we do that. We don't think about it like that, but that's what's happening. I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, we're going to back up to chapter 4. We're going to start in chapter 4, verse 22. And this here chapter, the latter part of the chapter, is about the old life and the new, the old life and the new. So Paul is writing, and he's letting them know, as you have put on Christ, these things here should no longer be a part of your life. And if they are, then you need to do something about them, and that is submit to the word of God. Starting with verse 22, chapter 4, Ephesians, verse 22. Put ye, there, put ye on, therefore, concerning the former, or I'm sorry, put ye, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your what? Mind. You know, we talked about this in Sabbath school class in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's talking about being renewed in your mind, being transformed in mind. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in what? righteousness and true holiness. That's interesting. It says true holiness. Is there a false holiness out there? Must be if there's a true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may give to him that needs. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That means, in other words, don't talk arrogantly. Don't be sarcastic. Now, you know, my wife, I, I have a habit sometimes of being sarcastic. God's really given me victory on this over the years, but it still comes up sometimes. My wife looks at me and says, why did you say that? Oh, man. You know what? We can either accept the reproof or we can fight it and be proud and put up a wall. Don't be too proud, friends, to recognize what needs to be changed in your character. If you're arrogant and somebody comes to you and talks to you about it, recognize it. If you're struggling with recognizing it, go and pray and ask the Lord, Lord, is this what's really happening in my life? Open my eyes and then ask him, Lord, let me hear the words coming out of my mouth because Jesus said out of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. So if you ever want to know the condition of your heart, ask God to tune in your hearing to the words coming out and you'll be surprised what you will recognize deep inside. Continuing. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you." Now, you know, next week's communion week, and I, don't, I, I just can't figure this out. Um, when communion week comes around, it seems like less people come to church. I don't understand that because it's a time of celebration. It's a time of rejoicing in what God has done for us through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. So I, I see a nice sized church count here. I hope to see you all here next week. Amen? Come and let's fellowship. Come, let's rejoice in the great sacrifice that Christ has offered for you and I. And you know what? Maybe it's because you don't want to, some people don't come because, well, 
I'm kind of mad at so-and-so, and, you know, I don't want to see them, and I'm sure not washing their feet, and that's probably the person's feet you need to wash. You know, the enemy knows that if he can keep bitterness in your heart, you're not going home. If he knows he can, he can sow in your heart bitterness to the point where you will not forgive somebody, you're not going home. Now think about it. When Jesus was being nailed on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, I'm always baffled at that prayer. How could those people know they, they, they were driving the stakes in his hands, they were spitting on him, they were ridiculing him. How could they know not what they were doing? Friends, many people do not realize how the enemy has influenced them to do things, say things, act certain ways, and it offends us. But the Bible says here, be kind be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. For what reason? Because God has forgiven you. Didn't say forget the act. Did not say just keep going, trusting them. Just said forgive because God knows if you don't forgive, bitterness is going to get in there. It's going to eat you like a worm. And it's going to destroy your love. Not only for that person, but for many others. It goes on to say here in uh, chapter 5, I'm going to read a few more verses here. Be therefore followers of God as their children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not once be named among you as it becomes saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking. Foolish what? Talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather of giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You know, in the Bible, there's principles that are laid out for us to live by. The Bible calls us to dress appropriately. The Bible calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And women, if you're not dressing appropriately, how can you say you're loving your neighbor as yourself? Well, they shouldn't look at me. Well, why do you reveal yourself like that? As Christians, we should dress modestly. People should be able to note that's a Christian. That person is different. There's one thing that I really appreciate about the Amish and the Mennonite culture is they dress very modestly. There is no mistaking that that person is different and unique. And there's a clear distinguish, a distinguishing between them and somebody that dresses like the world. But along with that, friends, in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10, we know it. We shared a lot when we stand up here and we give appeals for offerings. God is calling for us to give a tithe and an offering. He says if we don't do that, we are robbing him. Now, how many people are going to heaven that steal? How many? How many? None. None. And when God puts that commandment in there to give, he makes a promise that he will give you more than what you give. And the problem people have by holding back is they reveal they do not trust, they do not believe that God will do for them what they cannot do for themselves. They try to figure it all out. Well, uh, all this adds up to this, and if I give that, then this isn't going to work out, and it just can't be done. Well, maybe with you it can't be done, but with God it can be what? With man, this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I remember one time, as it was early in my walk with God, um, I, had, I had made a pledge, 
And I, I was going through my bank account, and I, I didn't make much. I only made about $9 an hour. I just bought a home on land contract, just moved out of the homeless shelter, been there a year, bought a home. God was restoring my life, but I had always playing, paying tithe faithfully. I was even threatened to get kicked out of the homeless shelter because I was not saving the proper amount of income because I was giving a tithe and offering. And I told him, kick me out. I don't care. I'd rather live in the street with God's blessing than, than try to hold on to something that belongs to him and receive a curse. Because the Bible says, cursed are you when you hang on to what belongs to God. We curse ourselves. But I remember, I, I made a pledge, and, and then I went home, and I, and I looked at my checkbook, and I, I miscalculated. And I gave away my food money for the week. That was my, I was living from paycheck to paycheck. And I just pledged my groceries for the week. Well, you know, all right, well, I'm going to church Sabbath and making good on my pledge. I got invited over to a friend's house. And I, him and his uh, wife were having a fellowship meal, and, you know, we got done eating, and uh, his wife looked at me, and she said, Dennis, um, do you want to take this food home? Huh, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, sure, why not? <laughs> My wife would tell you when she met me, I was the leftover king. <laughs> I'd cook something to make it last all week. I was a bachelor. She used to get mad at me. What are you eating today? Spaghetti? She called me the next day. What are you eating? Spaghetti. Three days later, what are you eating? Spaghetti. What do you do that for? Hey, it's as simple. It's one meal, I'm done. It's put it in the fridge. I don't have to cook all week. But you know, the blessing was God continued to provide. He never let me down. When I met my wife, we had a little, uh, little uh, Ford pickup, Ford Ranger, with a stick shift in the middle. And we have a son, Travis, and he's getting big. And so it made it hard for all of us to fit in there anymore. But you know, one day I was driving down the road and I saw a van for sale. And I thought I'd stop and take a look at it. And so I looked at it and I told my wife about it. And I said to her, you know what? We can't afford it. We definitely can't afford it, but let's pray. And my prayer was, Lord, if he'll take one-third of the asking price. Now, I don't know who's going to do that. But if he'll take one-third of the asking price, then I know you want to give that to us, and you know what's wrong with it, and you got it all taken care of. And so we go back, we meet the individual, and we go out, and we eat lunch with him because they invited us to have lunch with him, and we go for a walk. And I say to him, his name was Todd. I said, Todd, you know, I've been praying about this, and you know the, the situation we currently find ourselves in. I said, uh, this is all I can do. And he looked at me, he says, well, I can do better than that. I said, well, I'm sure you can. And he said, I've been praying about it too and God told me to give it to you. I'm like, what? Give it to us? Don't, I, complete stranger, friends. God knows how to make things happen. Be faithful to God. Let the word of God transform your heart and let God give you the blessing he desires to give and then grow in your understanding and deepen your relationship with him. Closing out here, you know, when we delay, there's a problem. Proverbs 123 says, if you turn out my reproof, in other words, if you respond to my, my correction, I'll pour out my spirit upon you and make my words known unto you. But you know, sometimes we delay and we'll never understand the influence of our delay and how it's impacted other people until heaven. Lot understood it, Lot would, experience it firsthand. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 161, it would say this, if Lot himself had manifested no hesitancy to obey the angel's warning, but had earnestly fled toward the mountains without one word of pleading or remonstrance, his wife also would have been made her, his wife would have also made her escape. The influence of his example would have saved her from the sin that sealed her doom. Now listen to this. But his hesitancy and delay caused her to lightly regard the divine warning. Friends, when you know God is telling you to live like this, change this in your life, come up to this standard, give this or do that, and you delay, your delay is not only hindering your relationship with God, but it's sowing a seed to lightly regard 
the divine principles of his word in the hearts of those around you. While her body was upon the plain, her heart clung to Sodom and she perished with it. Friends, let us give heed to the word of God. Let the word do its work. Be in the Bible daily. How often? Daily. Now, I would imagine that's probably some here listening online, listening to me right here. Perhaps you spend more time on social media than you do in the Word of God. And maybe you think, well, it's boring. It's boring because you're not reading it, realizing that this is the only way home. It's boring because you're not reading it to know God. It's boring because you're looking at it as if, well, he's being controlling and he just wants to dictate my life. No, God has your best interest in mind as well as yours. And we, my friends, do the greatest injury and injustice to ourselves when we act and live contrary to the expressed will of God. Now, there's many promises in the Bible. He said, where sin abounds, his grace will abound much more. What do you say? If you're struggling with something, okay, you're struggling with it. But fight, wrestle, pray, submit, and resist, and give God glory when he gives you that victory. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, 32, that he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not freely give us all things? That's all things that pertain to life and godliness. Friends, let God have his work in your life and give him the glory and honor. And remember, he says, come now, let us reason together, right? Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be white and made whole. You'll be made whole, friends. If we're willing and obedient, we'll eat of the good of the land. So let us be willing. Amen? Let us rise and sing our closing hymn. There's power in the blood. He promises power to his friends.
And there's a quote here I'd like to finish up with. It's in your bulletin. I encourage you to take it home, read it. While Christ opens to heaven, while Christ opens heaven to man, the life which he imparts opens the heart of man to heaven. Sin not only shuts us away from God, but it destroys in the human soul both the desire and the capacity for knowing him. But all this work of evil that is Christ's mission to undo, the faculties of the soul paralyzed by sin, the darkened mind, the perverted will, he has power to invigorate and to restore. He opens to us the riches of the universe and by him the power to discern and to appropriate these treasures is imparted. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all the people that gave up their life so that we could have this precious word so that we would know the way home. Forgive us, Lord, when we have just not taken the time to bend down in the morning on our knees and pray and to pick up the heavenly manna and to feast upon the blessings that you bestow upon us that you long for us to receive. Forgive us, Lord, when we've walked contrary to your known will in your word. Forgive us when we have sacrificed our children on the altar and allowed them to play and watch and and absorb things that, Lord, came off the devil's buffet. Forgive us when we, Lord, ourselves, has set the wrong example by feasting upon that table ourselves. Father, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit will prevail in everybody's heart here. I pray, Father, that we will go home and embrace the promise that where sin abounds, your grace, your divine influence is able to empower us and do more for us than sin has ever done in our lives, and that we can come off conquerors and more than victors in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, that the work that you've begun in us, we can be confident, and we will be confident that you will complete it unto the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, bless us as we go forth. May your spirit continue to contend with us if we're walking out of the way and we refuse to listen. Have mercy upon us, Lord, and make our way hard. In Jesus' name, I ask these things, Father, and save us in your kingdom. Amen. I'd invite you to please be seated. The deacons will dismiss from the back to the front. God bless. If you're visiting or you want to stay for fellowship meal, please come on down to the fellowship hall. Thank you. Please join us in singing our uh, dismissal song, Rejoice Ye Pure in Heart, hymn number 27.